Go ahead and turn. Ephesians 6. That's where we're going to be. The gospel work of parenting. Raising kids is exciting. You have conversations like this, the child of the dinner table. Are caterpillars good to eat? No. Why would you ask that? Well, there was one in, the, in your salad, but it's gone now. I've got a, a, a longer version of that exact kind of thing that I'll be glad to share with you if you're interested in hearing it later. I don't have time to share that story. When listening, uh, this mother and her little daughter, Sarah, were listening to the radio one day in the house. And little Sarah, a song came on. It was Christian radio. Uh, train up a child. And the daughter asked her mom, what does train up mean? And she said, well, it means to teach children about God and to teach them right from wrong. And, and little Sarah said, well, are you and daddy training me up? And she said, yes, we're, we're trying to. And little Sarah turned back to the radio and said, hmm, we'll see about that. <laughs> now, some of you parents have had one of those little Sarahs, haven't you? That maybe was little and then was bigger and was still saying, well, we'll see about that. There's different stages of parenting, too, and I want to I just lay this out. This is, this is going to hit you def- differently depending on where you're at in your life, okay? But the different stages of parenting, I liked uh, this one author put it this way. The discipline years or those first three or four years, the child's primary need uh, is to be brought under control, okay? And they, they need boundaries. They need to understand consequences. The next years, they call the training years. The, answering a lot of questions, 4 through 13. So you're doing discipline and training throughout. But the next few years, the teenage years, are coaching years, okay? Where you're sending them out, you're coaching them up, you're sending them out in the world, and then you're bringing them back and you're helping them understand how they did. And sometimes you put them on the bench because they blew it, but you're coaching them along, right? You're helping them understand that some independence, some responsibility, and, and that's the teenage years. And then the next phase I call the consultant years. Hopefully they're going to use you as a consultant. They're going to be coming back and, and getting some wisdom and, and, and some help along the way. But ultimately you want to be a friend to your adult child, right? Now some have, have an extra phase called the contractor phase where you're raising the kids for your kids. You're, you're raising your grandkids. But let's talk about realities. In our world right now, the family's under attack, isn't it? We live in a broken world with broken people and broken families. Did you know that roughly one out of three kids in the U.S. grow up in a single-parent home? One out of three. And most of those homes are, are not a product of divorce. Most of those single moms have never been married. Even the mainstream Voices talk about the epidemic of fatherlessness in our country. And I'm not going to go through all the statistics, but it's sad, I mean, to the point of tears when you understand that a child without a father is destined to struggle. You'll break your heart. Just having both parents in the home greatly increases the likelihood of that child living to adulthood, living, remaining, breathing, and finishing high school, and it greatly reduces the chances that they'll go to prison or, or teen pregnancy. Kids need a father. Kids need a mother. Kids need a mother and father. Can I get an amen? It's the truth. 
And there's no greater calling or more important role than that of parenting. It's a God-given responsibility. The goal is not to raise good kids or, or productive citizens. The goal is to raise Christ followers. And this verse gives us practical direction for how to raise our children. So verse 4 of chapter 6, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now, who's Paul talking to? He says, Fathers. And it's a common misconception, and it has been throughout much of human history and even in some cultures and societies, uh, that it's a woman's role to raise kids. And it's one of the ways that Jesus turned everything upside down by saying, Fathers, right here. And we've seen Jesus doing that throughout Ephesians. Jesus shows us, we see in Scripture here, that women are to be valued, children are to be valued, because they're made in the image of God. But he's turning, uh, turning things upside down by redefining the relationships. In marriage, women are to be valued and respected. Children's hearts matter. Their emotions matter. Dads, they should matter to you. That was revolutionary kind of talk when Paul said it. But today, this passage is not just for the fathers. It is in particular, but it's instructions for parents. And if you're not a parent, you probably have parents. And, and I just, that was kind of a joke. You know, y'all, y'all tracking with me? You still awake? You, you, you live or have a family. And, and in general, some of these principles should apply in some way. Now, if you're parenting, especially actively parenting right now, this is right where you are. And I thought about having those parents come and, and sit on the stage like the kids. That, no, I'm just kidding. That would be awkward. <laughs> Um, but but it, it, it's going to hit you differently where you are in your life. But I, I'm, I'm hoping and praying that it's going to be helpful and encouraging regardless of where you are in your parenting journey or, or your life in general. The first point is the heart of the children matter. Don't provoke or stir up anger or discouragement in your children. Colossians 3.21 is kind of a mirror verse in Colossians. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Well, how does that happen? I don't think Paul has in mind here the, the, the joking and the picking that dads do that drive their kids crazy. Uh, I don't think that's what he's saying. And not just because I'm really, really, really good at it. Um, I, I, I don't think that's what he's talking about. I, isn't, isn't he just referring to the heart being too harsh like we can be? Fathers do have anger issues sometimes. And children do have a natural ability to find the last nerve and jump up and down on it. Don't they? Kids do that. They, they know where it is. They do. Um, but in reading and preparing for this passage, a whole lot of ideas were given by really smart people about what this could be. And I decided I'd just share some of them with you. Tony Morita is a seminary professor and author. He had a really good list. And I'm gonna, I want to talk through them really quickly. Um, failing to take into account the fact that they are kids. Here's the deal. Kids are going to be kids. Stuff's going to get spilled. Clothes will be dirty. That kind of stuff will happen. We shouldn't punish them for being kids. Uh, comparing them to others, that's not cool. Disciplining them inconsistently, that's a huge one. Because if we're constantly moving the bar, that's going to be frustrating for anybody. You with me? We need to be consistent in how we parent. 
And part of that is being on the same page, moms and dads. Because if dad's over here saying this and mom's over here, listen, kids learn very quickly how to divide and conquer. And they will. So you've you got to be on the same page. But consistency is a big deal. Failing to express approval, even at small accomplishments. Kids need to be encouraged. And parents need to be cheerleader number one and two. It's huge. Disciplining them for reasons other than willful disobedience and defiance. That's why you discipline. Willful disobedience and defiance. Pressuring them to pursue our goals instead of their own. In other words, living vicariously through our kids. You see that at ball fields all the time. Overprotecting them. Underprotecting them. R. Kent Hughes, in his commentary, had a really good list. Unreasonable list. Unreasonableness. Being overly demanding. Uh, fault finding. The poor kid can't do anything right for his mother or father. Neglect. That is a huge Huge issue right now. Kids are being neglected. Let me ask you something. I don't know if it's ever happened to you, but it is. Is it not extremely frustrating when you need to know something and you're expected to know something like demands that you know and you don't know because no one's ever taught you? Yes. There's a whole lot of frustrated young adults in the U.S. right now. Another commentary adds unfairness, humiliation, gross insensitivity. You get the point. That's just a few of thousands of ways parents can provoke their children to anger and discouragement. But I, I have an idea here, and it seems to be unique to me. I can't find anybody smarter than me to, to back this up, so, but go with me. Where this phrase is, positioned against parents giving their children the discipline and instruction of the Lord, I think most of the anger and discouragement our ch children would experience would come out of not receiving what God tells us to provide here. Y'all tracking with me? Now, you might be saying, uh, well, JT, your list, your, your list was pretty good. The list you just gave us was pretty good. In fact, I wasn't mad at my parents when I got here, but now I am. Uh, you know, yeah, okay. It, it was a pretty good, it was a pretty good list. Um, but I think if we revisited the list, you would see that most of the actions came from a parent that was being selfish or sinful, acting in mean or harsh ways, being lazy or distracted, not providing parenting that would be considered of the Lord. What I'm saying is that anger and discouragement in our children will be the result of not giving them what they need the most, which is the discipline and the instruction of the Lord, and ultimately, Jesus. Jesus. I want you to think about it this way. And this is probably going to be an OE, an ouch or an OE. Your kids will resent you, and, they, and you will provoke anger if all you are saying by how you parent is, you're not the center of the universe, I am. Think about that. That's most parenting today. Little buddy, you're not the center of the universe, I am. And you're going you're to revolve around me. 
And that's ultimately what happens when we as parents aren't submitted to Christ. If Jesus isn't the center, if Jesus isn't the focus, if Jesus isn't the authority, then it's just a battle of the wheels for who's going to be the center of the universe and who's going to have control. And you might win because you're bigger now, but you won't always be bigger. And that child is right. They deserve that spot as much as you do, which, in case you missed it, is not at all. Right? See, this is, a, this is a, an extra point that I added here. Okay? This is really number two in your outline. But if, if, if you, if you want to keep up. Okay? Number two. The real number two is the heart of the problem is sinful hearts. Okay? Your children and yours, parents. Understand that the battle about that toy or bedtime or supper... They aren't really about those things. That's just symptoms of what's really going on. You've got to look beyond your child's words and actions to their control center, the heart. It's a battle over who's going to decide how I live. And they're born sinners. What Paul Tripp is, says in that, in, in that book, Parenting, he calls it self-appointed little self-sovereigns. Sin makes us all want to be the center of our world which is where God alone belongs. You see, you see that even as with a baby. And he gives this illustration in the book. You fed and changed this baby. You sang every song you know, every song you have in your repertoire. And the baby's finally asleep and you're tiptoeing out of the room. And just as you get to the door, you know what's happening, right? Blood curling scream. And Paul Tripp says, here's, here's, what, here's what that child is saying in those screams. Oh, no, you don't. You will not leave. I love you. And I have a wonderful plan for your life. <laughs> I am the Lord. 2 Corinthians 5.15 Jesus died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves. This is what we all do apart from Christ. We live for ourselves. We have a desire for self-rule, and that includes our children. Our children need to be rescued from their addiction to self-rule. And the first step in gospel parenting is helping them see that they are sinners. They need to know that they were born into a world of authority, and they are not it. And then the what was your second point? It's now your third point. The heart of the matter of parenting. We've been talking about a Christian home where a husband and wife are submitted to Christ and then submitted to one another and they're thereby rightly relating to one another. And children are submitting and obeying their parents. And, and now we come to speaking to the parents. And the heart of the matter is we want to raise kids that know and love Jesus. Fathers and mothers, we've been given an authority by God to parent these children, and we are to exercise what Tripp calls ambassadorial authority, which means we lead our kids by the authority given to us by the one who has authority over us. And we need to understand that every time we exercise authority in the lives of our children, we are reflecting God. We're reflecting His authority. And so it's very important that we lead our kids with the grace and the goodness that we receive from God. 
You see, God's authority and his goodness are not contrary to one another. They come together. And that's the way it should be with our parenting. Our children should see God's goodness and his grace, even as we exercise that God-given authority in their lives. The first thing we're told here is to bring them up. We're to bring them up in the Lord. That means to nourish them. It means to feed them. It means to take care of them and cherish them. This is basic level. Let's just keep them alive. Okay? And sometimes that's harder than others. Right? It is. My parents refused to give me a motorcycle, and that was really, really wise. I can admit that now. Because I almost killed myself on my bike several times. If I had a motor, I'd be more metal than, than bone right now, probably. Bring them up in the Lord. It, it's, but it's more than just feeding them. It's more than just seeing them get grown. Calvin translated this this way. Let them be kindly or fondly cherished. There's a gentleness here. There's a tenderness, tenderness here. It is a manly thing for a father to be tender and loving with his children. It is. Men, hold your babies. Take, help take care of them. One of the funniest things I've ever heard is to hear uh, Captain Hoxie talk about uh, changing a diaper. And, you know, he's a fireman, so he treats it like a hazmat scene. You know, you, you ask Craig to de- describe it for you. It's hilarious. Um, you didn't know I was going to call you out. Like it, I thought about relating the whole story because I remember it well. It's hilarious. Men should be helping to tend to their children and hug your children. Whether they're three or 43, hug them. Give them affection. It's huge and it's important. But bring them up. It's not just the idea of nurturing the body. It's the mind and the soul. It's loving and caring for your children. They need our affection, attention, approval, acceptance. They need massive amounts of encouragement. And then secondly, and thirdly, they need our one version calls nurture and admonition. It must be the King James, what we were raised on. That comes to my mind, the nurture and admonition. It, we're in the ESV here. It's the discipline and instruction. Another word for discipline is training. Another word for instruction is teaching. The discipline here. Secondly, applying the discipline of the Lord. The word literally means the strenuous cultivation of the righteous life. It's, it's live action education. It includes the idea of chastisement and correction. It means discipline even by punishment, but it's not punishment for punishment's sake, like as in revenge. You embarrass me, child, I embarrass you. It's not like that. This discipline is corrective. And it's not the opposite of love. A lot of folks will say, well, we need to balance discipline and love. No, true biblical discipline is love in action. That's what, that's what it is. And not only do we have the Word of God to help us here, but we have the example of our Heavenly Father. Proverbs 3.12 For the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father the son in whom he delights. You see, discipline is a sign of God's love for us. Because he loves us, he desires to help us grow and to learn what is good and right. He wants what is best for us. We're called to love our children that same way. Proverbs thirteen twenty four: Whoever spares the rod hates his son, 
But he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. Proverbs 19, 18. Discipline your son for there is hope. Boy, sometimes we need to hear that as parents, don't we? That there's hope. Discipline your son for there is hope. Do not set your heart on putting him to death. Whoa. Okay. Yes, we need the hope side, right? When Gerald said it last week. Uh, back in biblical times, there were serious consequences to being a disobedient and dishonorable son. But listen, we still, we, we understand sin still does have serious, serious consequences, right? With this kind of discipline, the goal is not pain. The goal is growth. It's, it's good health. Physically, emotionally, spiritually. Hebrews 12, 11, for the moment, for the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Good stuff. Listen, when our willingness to discipline our children has more to do with our level of irritation on what they're doing as opposed to our concern for their well-being and growth, we're being led by our selfish desires in that moment and our comfort. What our children are learning then is not what is right or wrong, but how to make my erratic and inconsistent parents not be mad. And that's yielding this authority in a wrong way. When you're disciplining a child, uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones said this, when you are disciplining a child, you should have first controlled yourself. What right have you to say to your child that he needs discipline when you obviously need it yourself? If our anger is the primary reason for our discipline, that's not corrective. It's punitive. And it's, it's, not, this, it's not godly, it's not scriptural discipline. You know what angry parents produce? Angry children. Do not provoke your children to anger. Instead... Instead of producing righteousness and peace, you're producing anger and ultimately issues in relationships. Issues in relationships between you as their parental authority and ultimately that may have an impact on their relationship with their ultimate godly authority, God. Discipline done right is ultimately good and healthy for the parent-child relationship. It builds trust when a child knows that you love them enough to do the hard things. And make the difficult decisions that they aren't ready to make yet. It provides a place of safety and security. In their book, For Parents Only. It's a little book. It's an it's a interesting little read. The author surveyed more than a thousand teenagers. In the chapter titled, The Good Thing About Being the Bad Guy. Why Your Child Secretly Hopes You'll Stand Your Ground. They explained one of their key findings, which was... Although your teens test your authority and they argue with rules, they secretly want us to stand firm as parents, and they will lose respect for us if we don't. You've probably heard it said, and it's true, that our kids don't need another friend. They need a parent. But here's the deal, and this is what's cool out of this book. The authors found that most teenagers, four out of five, said that's what they want. They want their parents to be the authority figure in their lives. They want their parents taking charge. They see it as a form of love and security. 
When we don't discipline in good and godly ways, we're teaching our children to not trust and possibly to despise those in authority. And God is our authority. We need to represent him well. We need to help our kids understand what true obedience is. Submitting the heart to the authorities God has placed in our lives. We also need to help them understand that everything they do comes out of their hearts and reveals their hearts. So when they disobey, if you're if you still have small children in the home, take a few minutes and, and try to help them connect what they did to their ultimate heart struggle and their resistance to the authority that God has put over them. These are moments and opportunities for grace. Help them understand the reason why obedience is best. Don't just make them do what they're supposed to do. Help them understand why. And thirdly, give them the instruction of the Lord. And it, this is verbal instruction. It's verbal warning. Of course, if we're going to raise our children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord, the primary resource is going to be God's Word. And both of these words, the discipline and the instruction, are used to describe the purpose of Scriptures. 2 Timothy 3.16 All Scriptures breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Parents, we're to raise our children on the Word of God. And both parents are to be engaged in this. Proverbs 6.20 says, My son, keep your father's commitment commandment and forsake not your mother's teaching bind them on your heart always tie them around your neck when you walk they will lead you when you lie down they will watch over you when you are when you're awake they will talk with you but it's not just about passing along information it's about the heart god calls us to a relationship with him it's teaching and training all the way to the heart ben read at our deuteronomy earlier and that in verse six of chapter six of Deuteronomy, and these words that I command you today shall be on your heart, parents, be on your heart, parents, before he tells us to teach them to our kids and to and to keep it before them. He tells us that it's to be on our hearts. And we're told that. I mean, here, here's the reality. You can't give something that you don't have, and you can't lead them somewhere that you've never been or you're unwilling to go. Now, Paul doesn't say it here directly, and it really should have been one of my points, but we are to set an example for our children. The point is implied here by the focus on teaching, but it's also implied by all of the focus on godly living throughout Ephesians. And children are quite discerning. And they see if our faith is just a Sunday ritual or if it's real, as in Jesus is my life. They see, does the church mean anything to you? Does the church community mean something to you? They're watching. Are you living out your faith by how you treat others and how you talk? They pick up on so much. This is about a way of life. It's about a way of seeing and understanding the world from a Christian worldview and living a holy set apart life. We should have our kids coming up to us saying, why do we do things differently than this family over here? 
And why do we do why do we do this? Why is this a priority in our lives? This, it's not a big deal to this family that I see over here. They should be asked. They should be discerning that there's a difference in how we're living. We're called to live countercultural lives. And I mean, everything we see in media and social media, we we as Christ followers are called to be wise and discerning and to test everything against God's word. Here's the reality. The news has always been a false narrative or at least an incomplete narrative, because at least to the extent that they leave out God and they and they leave out what God's word says about whatever issue they're talking about. Are you are you tracking with me? We need to use Jesus' truth glasses to see clearly. We need to see through the Christian worldview. It's a countercultural way of living. Here's a real-life example from the news. Al Mohler, on his regular daily news briefing, was talking uh, a few weeks ago about the cultural attempt to separate sex from gender and the confusion that, that there is going on, and it's being hoisted on our children and our teenagers. And he said, all of this demonstrates the importance of parents. Parents are to be there in the front line as a mom and a dad to say to their child, look, by God's grace, we know who we are and we know who you are. And then he said this. Secondly, the importance of the church, the people of God, the body of Christ. We're to come alongside particularly young people and say, we love you. We love you in Christ. We love you for who you are and who God made you to be. And we know who you are and we celebrate who you are. And we want you to know that God, we want you to know that God making you a boy or a girl, a man or woman is a part of his perfect plan for you. We know more about that plan because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But the plan starts that way as our identity, and it starts that way. It is the Scripture, beginning from the very first chapter of the Bible, that situates us there healthily. And he's, he, he, says, he says this. You're not, you're, if you read the Bible, you'll notice something. At no point does in any verse the Scripture suggest that we're to ask ourselves, have you found yourself yet? Do you have any idea who you've decided to be or what gender you've decided to be? He said, I dare you to read the Bible. You're not going to find those questions. Here's what you're going to find. Some made male, some made female, all in God's image and all to God's glory. Folks, that's seeing life in a Christian worldview. It's seeing it through the lens of Scripture. It's helping our kids understand that the chaos and the confusion in the world. We don't have to engage in that because God's word has made it clear who you are. You with me? Especially to our vulnerable children. We, we're called to teach and train. We're called to give them Jesus. It's Christ-centered instruction. Talk about Jesus, how he came and lived a sinless life. And, talk, and, he, and he taught about his kingdom. And tell them about his death and his resurrection. The salvation that we can have through repentance and faith. How, he, how we can't earn that. But His forgiveness is a gift of grace. And how the Christian 
life is a relationship with a holy God and how he gives us his abiding presence and he and he helps us live the life that he calls us to live that we see in scripture. Parents, there are many, many opportunities for spiritual conversations. And and that passage in Deuteronomy gives us insight into that. He says in the mornings when you get up. Well, around the table before on the way to the bus stop. I know, especially during the school year, life can be crazy. I used to pray with the kids on the way to the bus stop in the car. In fact, some of the best spiritual conversations I ever had with my kids happened in the car. It was it was a a captive audience. You with me? I loved it. It was great. You know, but. But at night, when you're, when you're putting them to bed, it's a great time to do that. At the dinner table, it's a great time to interact. Share the verse from your, from your devotion. Pray about what's going on in their lives. You don't have to have it all figured out. But walk out your faith. Share it with your children. As you go, you're making disciples. And that's what we're called to do. Danny Aiken says to parents, have fun and talk about Jesus a lot. I think that's great. It's great advice. But it takes time and it takes effort. I, I, think, about, I think about coaching soccer. When Emily was this tall, I got a call from Parson Rick. We need a soccer coach. I don't know soccer. I never, I didn't know, I mean, I never played soccer. We didn't have soccer at my school. I didn't know soccer. I don't, find somebody who knows soccer. And they kept on, kept on. I said, okay, if you can't find somebody, call me back. They probably didn't call anybody else. (laughs) But they said, listen, we don't even keep score. And we'll give you some papers on how to coach soccer. We got some printouts. Printouts must have been 40 years old and copied many, many times because it was hard to read. But, but I'm, I'm, I'm soaking that in, and, and really, that first year, all it was was that way. No, 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 that way. The ball, chase the ball. Don't push that kid down. You know, it was those kind of things, okay? But every year, they call me back, and every year, I'm, I remember checking VHS tapes out of the library, okay? Every year, I'm trying to stay ahead so that I have something to offer them. You with me? I want to help them grow as soccer players. If I'm going to be a coach, I'm going to try to be a good coach. I'm going to try to help them grow. I, I got to stay one step ahead. Well, I ended up coaching Emily in middle school. That's a level I never thought I would attain. Really. It blew Sharon away. She was, you're going to coach middle school soccer? It's okay. Yeah, I mean, and we did great too. But I was, I was, hey coach, well, how would you do this? You know, and I'm bringing people on to help. Here's my point. You don't have to have it all figured out right now. And dads, sometimes we are bad about this. We get stuck and we think, I can't do this. And then, and then we don't do anything. Take that step of faith. You've been called to lead your children. Do it. Do it right now. And pursue the Lord. Try to stay one step ahead. Just grow. And have something to offer them as you go. The Lord will help you do what He's called you to do. You don't have to have it figured out. 
He will help you. The discipline and instruction of the Lord. It's gospel parenting. It begins with gospel living. And this is, this is the point. Ted Tripp said it in his book. He said, Effective parents don't try to protect their children by changing the environment or, or keeping, keeping them safe or, or changing them on the outside, working on their behavior. It, they do it by going after the child's heart. We change their hearts by teaching them the gospel, modeling the gospel, centering our homes on the gospel. The gospel, rightly understood and modeled, makes Christianity attractive. And effective parents make the gospel so attractive that the world cannot get a foothold in their children's heart. Help them have a glorious vision of Jesus and His kingdom. Help them understand that submitting to Jesus is the path to true freedom and joy. Once they see and know Jesus, then the, the, the lives of the world will fade away. And that false gold that looks so inviting, they'll realize it's nothing compared to the treasure of Jesus. Either we will encourage them toward Jesus or we may be uh, a speed bump, a roadblock. We, we have an obligation to represent God well and to lead our children in this way. Now listen, our kids need grace. I want to close on this. Parents, you need grace too. If you're feeling like a failure, if you're discouraged, if there's a sense of condemnation, if you're having a lot of regrets right now, the gospel is for you. We are sinners and we fail and God loves us. And Jesus took the God's wrath in our place and there's forgiveness and there's peace and there's freedom. And Jesus said, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And the power of the gospel transforms our weakness. Give God your regrets and receive grace. You know, our kids need to see that we need grace and forgiveness too. They need to know what we've learned in Ephesians, that in Christ we are accepted, forgiven, redeemed, and made alive. Let's pray together. Lord, I pray that we would live in such a way that we would pursue you in such a way that all the children in our lives would see and desire to know the Jesus we serve. Lord, that we would make you attractive, that we would make living with you and for you attractive. Lord, I pray that everything we do would declare that Jesus is the head of our homes. That we live submitted lives to you. Lord, we need wisdom, we need discernment to raise our kids. And Lord, I know there's some here that are past that stage. And Lord, we, we give our kids to you. Lord, help us to be faithful right where we are right now. Because once we're parents, we're always parents. Lord, help us to be faithful right now in any way we can. To speak truth into their lives. To live lives that reflect your your goodness and your glory and the beauty of the gospel. Lord, help us to be faithful right now where we are with those that we have influence. Lord, thank you for our, our families. Lord, I, I lift up those who are struggling right now with, with serious family issues. And 
Lord, I pray that uh, that you would help if there's a situation where forgiveness is needed. Lord, you tell us to forgive each other as the Lord as you've forgiven us. You tell us we must forgive. Lord, I pray that you'd heal family relationships that are broken. Lord, that you would put back together what's been ripped apart. Lord, that you would help us to be ministers of reconciliation where that's needed. Lord, I pray that you would help us. Help us, Lord, do this for your glory, for the good of those in our lives, in our families. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together and respond in song. I'm here to pray with you. The altar's open. Let's respond. Have a time of response.